On today's episode of the LNL Podcast, Brandon and I get to talk with Morgan Bird about one of his heroes, Abraham Booth. We discuss his conversion, we discuss why he had issues with Andrew Fuller, and we particularly discuss the implications of that controversy between those two. So we talk about the nature of conversion and what we should say when we're calling people to faith and repentance in Christ. You won't want to miss out on the full episode. Hello, everyone. I'd like to welcome you to another episode of the London London Lyceum, where we hope to help our listeners think deeply and clearly about all things in relation to God. I'm one of your hosts, Jordan Stefaniak. And I'm your other co-host, Brandon Askew. And today we're here with Morgan Bird, who's one of my uh, good friends. Me and Morgan uh, first met back at church maybe four or five years ago, and we also um, went to seminary together. And we've We've gotten close over the years, so we wanted to have Morgan on to talk about uh, one of his favorite theologians. But before we do that, uh, Morgan, we're, we're thankful that you're here with us. Uh, won't you just tell us a little bit about you know where you're from, um, what you've been studying, what you studied in seminary, uh, what you do? Tell us a little bit about your family, anything that you think might be interesting about yourself that listeners would want to hear. Cool, thanks, man. That that was a lot of questions. Uh, it's a lot a lot of things to talk about, but. Um... I'll, uh, I'll, I'll try to just keep it short so that we can talk about the good stuff. But, um, yeah, like they said, uh, my name is Morgan and, uh, I am from Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. Uh, I grew up, my <clears throat> dad is a pastor. Um, he's a pastor. He's planted a couple churches that I got to kind of grow up in that, heard the gospel, uh, from a young age as a young boy. And, um, honestly, I, I kind of think of my life sort of like the book of Galatians, um, just struggled really uh, my whole life to, to sort of embrace the gospel and understand it in, in all its fullness. Um, I think of uh, the scripture, having been begun by the spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? That's sort of been the struggle of my, uh, my life in, in a lot of ways. Um, and so uh, anyway, I, growing up, um, you know, like I said, heard the gospel, um, believed the gospel at a young age, um, and, you know, slowly started to see that, you know, I did enjoy uh, telling other people about Jesus. Um, I enjoyed opening the scriptures with others. I enjoyed teaching the scriptures. And so after going to uh, college at Coastal Carolina University, I uh, just want to throw a little plug out there. We won the national championship in baseball in 2016. Go Shants. Um, <laughs> the only thing you guys I, have done uh, in the last, in, I don't know, what, 30 years, maybe? <laughs> <laughs> That's your claim to fame as a national Man, championship in we, we baseball. Got, uh, we, we, <laughs> of course, I went to Campbell. We don't have national championships in anything. So. Plug in uh, <laughs> Sorry, go ahead. Continue. Yeah, man. Anyway, I don't know. No, it's all good. It's all good. Um, I did meet uh, 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 a young, um, pretty girl there named Allie, and uh, we dated for a few years there and then got married. And, um, so very thankful uh, for for the church that that we were a part of, which was the church that my dad pastored. It is the church that he currently pastors, and um, honestly, some of the the leaders at that church uh, did encourage me to to go to seminary. I, I actually considered not going, but um, very very thankful that some older, wiser men and women uh, encouraged me to go. And so, Allie and I packed our bags and. I moved to uh, to Wake Forest, North Carolina, to go to Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary, where I um, got a, a MDiv in Christian Ministry. And like Brandon said, I, I met him there, and um, he he um, 
he and I have, uh, have really enjoyed getting to know each other. I'm really thankful, Brandon, for our wives. I think our wives probably, I feel like they talk more than we do. Um, Amen, really man. Thankful they for do. Friendship. Um, it, it's, it's, it's important to me. And, um, Anyway, I graduated from there. And while I was there, just like I said, just really had a great experience there. Uh, and then actually after graduating, um, moved back to Myrtle Beach where two things, two big things happened. One, uh, my son Benjamin was born. So he just had his six month. Uh, I don't know what you don't call that a birthday. I don't know if you call that a birthday or not, but he just turned uh, six months. And so that's been a, a joy. And then I also am the associate pastor at the church, Palmetto Shores Church, where my dad is the is the lead pastor. So really unique kind of experience to get to to learn from and kind of soak up and and grow as an associate pastor underneath my dad as the lead pastor. So um, anyway, that that's a little bit about me, and um, and so, but but that's not really why we why we're here today. Yeah, man. So thank, thanks for sharing that. Um, so when we asked you about, you know, something you'd be interested in discussing, you gave us a few different ideas and we ended up landing on uh, Abraham Booth, who I'm sure probably most of, well, I don't know, many of our listeners, I'm sure, are not familiar with Booth. So just tell us a little bit about who Abraham Booth is and, you know, maybe his conversion. And then we'll get into a little bit more detail about him and his theology. Yeah, for sure. So I was first introduced to Abraham Booth at Southeastern. Um, I was sort of uh, personally wrestling with some things. Um, I did come to um, Southeastern already sort of persuaded, at least from a soteriological perspective, to um, Calvinism or the doctrines of grace or Reformed theology, however you want to say that. But I was sort of wrestling with how do you, how do you, um, how do you hold these and also be a Baptist at the same time? You know, I, I didn't really know that that existed. The only one that I had heard of was John Piper and he wasn't a Southern Baptist. So that, there, that, you know, there you go. Can you be a Southern Baptist and a Calvinist at the same time? You know, that was sort of a, a big question for me. And so um, I remember sort of hearing about different people and, and Abraham Booth was one of them, who was a guy who um, lived in a time where uh, hyper Calvinism or this sort of, overextension of, of this view um, was sort of rampant, but he was a Baptist who did think that you should be sharing the gospel and doing it, um, you know, to people who were sinners. And I was just drawn to him. And, and so I, I started to uh, actually just picked up one of his works, which is the Reign of Grace, which we'll talk about maybe in a minute, um, and was just floored, was just blown away. You know, here's this, here's this guy who's, um, just excited about being a Baptist and he's excited about God's sovereign grace. And, and, and it was, um, it was honestly refreshing and, and sort of exciting to see that, 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 that did exist. And, um, and so um, just to give you a little, little background, maybe a historical uh, context. So Booth was born in 1734 and died in 1806. So if you've been tracking with the London Lyceum, You've heard the phrase 1689 confession. So think think um, about 35 or 40 years after that. Again, that's not when the confession was written, but that's that's the date that's attributed to that you know, London confession there. Um, you've got a guy named Jonathan Edwards who was born in 1703. Um, so he's about uh, 30 years uh, before Abraham Booth. And then Andrew Fuller, who becomes an important figure, who I, I hope we've spent a few minutes talking about. He's born in 1754. William Carey, 1761. 
Charles Spurgeon is then born in 1834, 100 years after Abraham Booth is born. So that's just a little bit of a, a context about um, sort of the the place that he is in 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 that history. Um, so basically, you know, Booth is um, he is in in London and or in that area. And in 1755, we're not sure exactly when he became a Christian, but in 1755, he's baptized by some general Baptists uh, by, as a believer. He's baptized by immersion. And in 1760 or so, he actually publishes a poem uh, against predestination. So he was uh, he came to faith or was baptized in an Arminian context. But within a few years, uh, he actually was persuaded to a Calvinistic perspective. And this is actually one of the things he said. He said, um, thus patronized, talking about himself, he received the once obnoxious sentiment under a full conviction of its being divine truth. And I think in some ways, um, the reason I resonate with Booth is because I also grew up uh, as an Arminian. I grew up being sort of offended. I remember the first time that someone tried to talk to me about limited atonement and um, it, it, it really, really freaked me out. And I really, really was nervous, you know, about that. And, and so in some ways it, it felt obnoxious to me. And then all of a sudden one summer after reading through the book of Romans, I found myself uh, kind of falling in love with that obnoxious sentiment that I had once, uh, once hated. And so anyway, that, that's just a little bit about his, about his early life and how he got, uh, to be a particular Baptist pastor. Really cool. He ends up writing um, The Reign of Grace. Uh, he had no intentions whatsoever of becoming famous. He had no intentions of of sort of becoming a, a person that someone would be talking about a, hundred year, a couple hundred years later. But there's actually a guy named Henry Venn, who was actually uh, with the Church of England, who gets a hold of The Reign of Grace and he loves it and he thinks it's awesome and he starts disseminating it to everyone and anyone and everyone he can. Um, and, and it's so interesting because Venn, as a part of the Church of England, though he likes Booth, um, there's still sort of this issue because um, Booth is a Baptist. And so at one point he actually he wants Booth to come and preach. Uh, but because Booth can't preach in his church, Henry Venn actually sets up a pulpit in his own, in his own kitchen he invites people over, and, and so Booth comes and, and preaches uh, to Henry Venn and, and some of his parishioners there in his kitchen because they don't want to let him come, you know, to the actual church. And so, but but in some ways, that kind of marks Booth's life. Um, he um, he has uh, convictions and he stands for them and he's strong on them. But at the same time, even people that he disagreed with, even people that uh, sort of um, theologically he 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 goes separate ways with. Uh, he still has a good relationship with. He still is able to make friendships with people who who end up in different perspectives. And then, really, through Henry Venn, through that um, that sort of publicizing of the reign of grace, his name gets out there. And and a, a, a little church, not a little church, but a sort of a famous church actually called uh, Little Prescott Street Baptist Church, where it, it's um, probably one of the first uh, particular Baptist churches pastored by. John Spilsbury and later pa pastored by Hercules Collins, which is a name you've heard if you've been listening to the podcast. Uh, Abraham Booth is called and ordained to preach uh, as a pastor at Little Prescott Street Baptist Church. So anyway, that's uh, that's sort of the early life of Booth. And, and that's um, just a little bit about how God called him to, to pastor.
So, yeah, man, that's good. Um, so before Jordan asks another question, I wanted to, um, and thank you for that. I mean, I feel like we've, we've got the historical setting down, but. And we also know that you're, you were scared of limited atonement. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's the first time I've heard me. that. <laughs> it freaked but him out. It, he said, um, <laughs> So listen, okay, real quick. I, uh-huh. I know this is not about Booth, but I, I had it. There was a guy. It was a, it was a, um, a campus pastor at, or a campus minister at Coastal Carolina, and uh, for like three or four months, all he ever wanted to talk to me about was limited atonement, and it, it actually sort of, it actually sort of pushed me away. And mm. and and like Booth, Booth later on in his life, he looked back. He had written this poem about uh, against predestination, and he was ashamed of it. And and in, in many ways, I, I can resonate with that because I'm. I'm sort of ashamed by the way that I treated this um, this campus minister. Um, so anyway, I, I really I really resonate with Booth in, in a lot of ways, but that and that's just that's just one of them. So. I don't feel too bad, man. I look, I remember, I still remember. This isn't about predestination, but I still remember that conversation that we had in Jersey Mike's that time about hermeneutics, and I was just stuck in dispensational literalistic. Like, were you in the cage stage of some sort? No, no, okay. no, this wasn't even about Calvinism. Morgan was trying to convince me of a better hermeneutic and I just, anyhow, I wasn't having it, but, and now it's like the exact hermeneutic that I love so much, but, um, so don't feel bad about, about pushing back against, against truth. I did that to you. So, but one more thing I wanted to ask about Booth, um, before Jordan asked you another question, was there, was there one specific person that was, and if you said this, I missed it, that was instrumental in his transition from general to particular or was it just through reading a number of different works or whatever yeah no it's not one particular person um at least not that he attributes it to uh it's definitely obvious by his quotations that at least by the end of his life that john owen is his favorite uh author um you know outside of the scriptures i mean he it's clear that he handles the scriptures uh, well and that he um he, because, you know, this is another part of his story I didn't really share, but because he was not educated well uh, growing up, um, he sort of has this hunger and thirst for knowledge. And, and that, I think that both leads him to the scriptures. And then also, like I said, I mean, I, he, had, he had to have been influenced by John Owen because um, later on in his life, I mean, John Owen ends up, ends up becoming the, his most quoted author, um, through, through, throughout all of his works. And so he, he never says this person in particular, but, but, but it seems to me that because of his, you know, sort of ardent study. And I, and I think that's something that you guys are trying to explore is how do you think well, and how do you engage with arguments and how do you, um, analyze, you know, different competing truths or, or, or different competing opinions about truth. And I, and I think Booth is someone who was willing to um, make a change. You know, he was willing to, um, you know, s- honestly put his hands open and say, you know, I want to h- hear the arguments. And, 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 and he was willing to be persuaded, you know, by, by an argument. And I, and I think that's important. And I think it then later on drives his own ministry because in his preaching, in his writing, um, he takes on that that same form, argumentative, not in the sense that he is, uh, you know, um, aggressively, you know, sort of that he has, uh, you know, a, a bad temper or anything like that, but argumentative in the sense that he, um, 
gives evidence for his positions and he carries his positions to their conclusions, um, which again led him. I mean, it was, I think it was probably, you know, it seems that it was, it was hard for him. I mean, he had to go to the, the, the folks that he had, that had really led him to Christ that had, that had helped him see the truth about Jesus and say, I've got to part ways, ways with you guys because on a, on a serious issue, you know, I have, I have been persuaded. And, and so he left. And, and, and so, so anyway, that, I know that's longer than a longer answer than the question that you asked, but. Um, no, I love that. And I think you highlighting the fact that he's like open to arguments and reason um, and mentioning, you know, that's one of the things that we're trying to push here. Uh, and partly just because I think like James chapter three tells us that the wisdom from above is open to reason. So that is really our posture should be that way that we're open to arguments. That doesn't mean that we have to like, you know, give up all of our beliefs and not have any dogmatic opinion whatsoever, but it definitely should mean that we should be uh, gracious and kind and open to hearing from others points of view uh, or understandings of things, because clearly uh, you just asked me or Brandon, uh, we have misunderstood the Bible in a lot of ways over, over time. And hopefully we understand it a whole lot better than we used to. But um, we need to be open to reason. Now that said, I want to no, push in. Say, oh, go ahead. I was going to read a, a short quote. Uh, you know, I feel like it just fits with with what we're talking about. Um, you know, this was something that that Booth said that, that I, I think just is helpful. Uh, he said, "For such a timid and lukewarm profession of truth is little better than the denial of it, than than open hostility against it." And this is the part that I really think resonates with sort of this this part of the conversation. He said, to seek for peace at the expense of truth will be found in the end none other than a wicked conspiracy against both God and man. Um, so he, you know, he did not see um, peace as a good um, peace. Obviously, he was peaceable. Uh, even people he disagreed with, you know, liked him as a person, but he did not see sort of keeping the peace as a good reason not to press the truth forward. Right. And so, anyway, yeah, and, um, I think that's, yeah, there's definitely a distinction between being, um, I guess, I don't know what the, what the phrase is, but kind of like just to be a turd about things. Quarrelsome. Yeah. Quarrelsome. That's it. That's, <laughs> that's probably the more technical term <laughs> than being Thanks, a turd. Uh, but, <laughs> but the point is there, there's a way to oh be peaceable and disagree. Paul used both of those words actually in his writings. I think it might've been different than turd, but it was close enough. Okay. <laughs> Moving on. I really want to talk to you about the fact that apparently Abraham Booth had an issue with Andrew Fuller. So for I, I know we've mentioned Andrew Fuller in the past. Uh, we're actually going to be doing a full podcast episode on Andrew Fuller in the future with, Na- with Nathan Finn. But why don't you give us a little bit of context for what's going on here? Why, what, why do Abraham Booth and Fuller have an issue with each other? And then anything you get wrong, we'll get Dr. Finn to correct. So I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. No, I was actually going to say that. Um, it, it's actually um, pretty scary to know that Nathan Finn is about to come on and talk about Fuller um, in light of some of the things I might say. But um, no, no, I, I think, you know, again, um, it's obvious that Booth and Fuller end end well and they 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 very much have a mutual respect for one another. Um, I believe Fuller said that Booth was the first counselor to our denomination is the way Fuller put it. And so he, he has a high regard for, for Booth, but, but let me just put, put it in context. Um, so, you know, you're living in a time where hyper Calvinism is, is sort of rampant and it's, and in some ways it's sort of killing 
um, Baptist life and, and obviously particular Baptist life. But you also have other things. You have um, antinomianism. So you have a rejection of sort of the law. And you and, and on, the, on the other side, you have legalism. Um, and as I've sort of studied it, you know, what the other thing you have is 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 sort of two brands of Arminianism. And I think this is where the conversation really centered is what does it mean to proclaim the gospel? You know, if if we are called to proclaim the gospel and at the same time we believe in the doctrines of grace, then what does it mean to proclaim the gospel? And in, and in particular, how does that relate to the atonement and the warrant for a sinner to, to come to Christ? And so that's sort of where the conversation centers around. And, and a lot of these different groups have different answers to these things, and they're important. I mean, we're talking about what happened at the cross. You know, this is not like some ancillary side conversation in the Christian life or in the Christian faith. You know, this is this is what's going on when the Son of God is being crucified. And to me, that how could there be a, a more important question than that? And so, um, one of the things that that we we need to understand is that Fuller was coming from a hyper Calvinistic background and was trying to push the conversation towards you know, we need to be sharing our faith. We need to be sharing the gospel with, with the, to the ends of the earth. Booth is coming from the opposite perspective. He grew up and, and basically was around the Arminian perspective. Uh, he was around the sort of uh, the type of uh, Christianity that, 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 that taught that um, learning was not helpful and that, um, you know, excited preaching that, that called people to faith was really all that mattered. And he had been persuaded to Calvinism. And so they're, they're sort of coming at a similar idea from different perspectives. And some people, some, some of the things I've read have actually said that because, because of the different backgrounds they're coming from, they very well may have just sort of been talking in circles. Um, they, they very well may could have been just talking past each other. But to me, this is just what I see is that what Fuller sort of comes up with with, with relation to sharing the gospel and the atonement is this idea of um, sufficient for all, but efficient for the elect. And so that's sort of his way of, of overcoming hyper-Calvinism if, with, just with regard to the atonement. And he's saying, it's fine to, to tell people that Jesus died for them because in some way he did, um, but that it, in its application, it is limited to those who are the elect. And I think that Booth really struggled with this um, because he felt like it was opening the door for a completely different you know, version of the atonement. Uh, there, there's a version of the atonement called the, the governmental theory. And, and this is what I mean when I, when I talked about Arminianism. Arminianism has to go in, in one of two directions if, they, if they're going to take the death of Jesus seriously. On the one hand, Arminianism must have a universal atonement that says Jesus actually paid, you know, for every sinner. He actually died and he uh, received the penalty that was due for every single sinner, but that some end up sort of cashing that in and then others decide not to cash that in. But this other way of, of sort of viewing Arminian theology is that when Jesus is dying on the cross, He's actually not dying for anyone. 
that it's that it's actually not with regard to any sort of particular person that the only thing that's happening at the cross is God's justice is being sort of vindicated and again I hope as if you're listening I don't know that Fuller necessarily believed that but I hope if you're listening you're saying wait 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 how is that possible you know how can God's justice be vindicated if if it's not actually in relation to real sinners with real sin. And, 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 and that's exactly what Booth was nervous about is that this, this idea of sufficient for all opened the door for really a, a governmental view of the atonement to kind of creep in. And, and all of a sudden what's, what's sort of being try to, used to try to explain, okay, how can we share the gospel with people who, um, who may or may not be the elect uh, has turned into to changing what's happening at the cross to to no longer be in relation to to people at all, but it's only in relation to God. And so, um, so you guys may have some questions. I'm not sure, but th- there, I think there are some major major implications that come out of this conversation between Booth and Fuller for for our day. Um, but I do, I do just maybe want to pause for a moment and just see like what, what thoughts or questions kind of come to you guys' mind. Well, um, I think that was really helpful how you set it up historically with their backgrounds. They're coming sort of to the same position, but from opposite ends of the spectrum. So that was something that I didn't really know about the controversy. So imagine if they had Twitter. Oh, my word. <laughs> I mean, so. Uh, God, that was helpful, but and, also, uh, yeah. yeah, somebody would have blocked somebody and gotten mad. <laughs> Yeah. Also, one of the questions that we wanted to ask was, you know, why Baptists today should care about him. And so I think that kind of gets to let's just change that question a little bit and say, well, why Baptists today should care about this controversy between Booth and Fuller? What what does that have? What what are those implications that you just mentioned? Yeah. So, again, regardless of whether. Fuller and Booth, this was actually a real thing or they were just sort of talking past one another. I think this is what, this is what we have to have to think through is start. The starting point is what is the gospel? Um, you know, is the gospel a subjective thing or is the gospel an objective thing? Uh, I think Booth actually writes. So Fuller wrote gospel worthy of all acceptation which is where he does talk about this sufficient, efficient thing. And then about 10 years later, uh, Booth writes a, a similar work, but, but different. You'll hear the similarity in the, in the title. Uh, it's titled glad tidings to perishing sinners. And, um, what Booth is essentially trying to get across is that because the gospel is an objective thing, it is, it is good news. It is an announcement of something that God has done in Christ. Then we don't need to tell someone that Jesus died for them. Um, or we don't need to tell someone we don't technically speaking. And he, and, and this is where some people may accuse him of being sort of a moderate hyper Calvinist, but he would even say that even, even calling someone to faith, you know, is not the gospel. And again, I think that you should call someone to faith, you know, as a response to the gospel. Absolutely. But the call but to faith isn't the he's gospel. He's saying there's right and and there's no need 
there's no need to add things, you know, to our gospel presentation that the scriptures haven't haven't added. And, and so, you know, I think again for us, how many times, uh, you know, have we heard someone as a part of their sort of gospel presentation say something like, "All you have to do to become a Christian is to believe that Jesus died for you." And again, to me, the problem with that is is twofold. One. The Bible never sets up salvation that way. Um, the conversation is never believe that Jesus died for you. It's always believe in Jesus. Put your faith in Jesus. Put your faith in him. And then whatever he has done will be yours. And um, I actually think that maybe one of the reasons uh, we're seeing this sort of uh, easy believism is not, I mean, it's not so much that people are refusing Jesus as Lord. I mean, I think that's part of it, but maybe part of it is we've even set them up to do that by the way we've offered the gospel. That instead of saying, put your faith in him, put your faith in the son of God and repent of your sins. We say things like, believe that he died for you. Well, guess what? Someone can believe that he died for them, but not put their faith in him, and they will still go to hell and be separated from from God. And so, I think I think again, what one of the things I think that's just you know one of the things that's important is is sort of what is the gospel, and if we if we start moving, you guys know this. This is a huge conversation right now. If we start moving from objective things that God has done in Christ to any sort of the subjective aspects of the gospel, um, we get in trouble. I think we get in trouble mainly because that's never what the scriptures do uh, when they uh, present the gospel to a non-believer. But then I also think we just honestly run the risk of lying to people. You know, we run the risk of, of telling them that something's true of them that's not true of them. And so, um, you know, I, th- I think that's, I think that's a big deal. Uh, I, I think it's a really big deal. So, um, you know, I, I know we're, I know, I didn't know that we would sort of end up talking about this the whole time, but, but this, but th- this is the thing, um, you know, what's at stake here is both, um, what happened at the cross, um, God's character. So what, how must God respond to sin? And then, and then obviously what should we be saying to people when we're calling them to faith? You know, what should we be proclaiming when we are out there talking to sinners about, uh, you know, what God has done? And so um, anyway, I, I think it's a pretty big implication. Yeah, that's very interesting. Very, very practical, I think. Um, and we might need to do a whole episode on thinking through that ourselves. Um Though I, I'm curious, as far as Booth, um, you know, one of the things we like to discuss mm-hmm. yeah. is Baptist theology on this podcast, obviously. The other two things are analytic and confessional theology. Now, in ways, a lot of these things overlap, mm-hmm. but in other ways, they are very distinct. So would Booth have any opinion on either of those? I know analytic theology was not, uh, you know, kind of a thing during his day, but say it was. Um, what would his mm-hmm. thinking toward mm-hmm. these two modes of theology be? Yeah. So I, I think you just set me up, man. You put the ball in the tee for me. So, um, because one of the, one of the places that you see Booth engaging the most critically with argumentation is over the question of baptism. 
Um, and I just, I just listened to you guys, uh, you know, the other day on one of your episodes and you're talking about what makes for a good analytical theological conversation. And one of those is engaging the real argument. You know, it's, it's, it's not trying to sort of set up the straw man, but it's actually dealing with what your opponent has actually said and what they actually mean. And, um, one of the things that Booth does is he writes, I mean, I'm not kidding. It is insane. Uh, this defense of believers baptism and what he does is he quotes hundreds of Pado Baptist uh, authors and shows how they actually argue for the Baptist position. And um, like on, for example, just on the term of baptism, there's 82 citations um, on the the design of baptism and the blessings represented by it, 75 citations. Uh, on John the Baptist, the apostles, the ancient church, 96 citations. So he is, he is um, sort of throughout his life, he's compiling this massive argument. And uh, it, apparently it's so compelling that uh, Adoniram Judson is actually reading it on the way as a paedo-baptist to Burma to uh, be a missionary. And before he gets off the boat and where he's where he's headed, he's he's been convinced. He's now a, a he he now is a Baptist, and um, it is he has cited Booth and Booth's work uh, called Pado Baptism Examined um, as one of the reasons that he was convinced, you know, to believers' baptism. So again, he he doesn't know Booth obviously doesn't know what analytic theology is, but he is. He's definitely keen on this idea of thinking deeply and arguing well, and not he's not interested in straw man. In fact, it's kind of funny. He he actually um, he he actually sort of picks at the straw man arg argument of both Baxter and Matthew Henry. Um, I, I they they both had some like really lame reasons why you know believers' baptism isn't helpful. Uh, I think one of them was like dunking someone in water can kill them because it makes them sick or something like that. And, you know, he, he just sort of laughs at it and, and says, you know, what is this? Like, how is this a good argument? Um, and so, but in his own arguments, he is, he's really thinking deeply. He's really engaging with his opponent and he's drawing things to their conclusions. Uh, he was in the minority, but he did, um, go the route of of closed communion because of his view on believers' baptism, and and that did not hold weight. Um, that was he was in the minority, and that didn't that did not last very long. Uh, that opinion or that sort of view, but um, he was willing. Even again, he had friends who who like Henry Venn and and like Fuller, who he disagreed with, who who loved him and and said he was a very cordial guy, uh, but he also. Again, that to to, to uh, go back to that quote, he wasn't willing to uh, put truth on the altar so that he, so that there could be sort of a peace. You know, he was willing to 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 search truth, to argue for truth, and then to follow that truth to its to its conclusions. And so, I know there's probably a lot of loose ends there, but um, but anyway, that's just one way that to kind of connect. Why should Baptists care about him? He's probably written the best defense of uh, believers' baptism ever written. 
And then also, why should why should anyone who cares about arguments uh, engage with him? Uh, just go read his stuff. You know, go read what he's done. Read read the work, even if you don't agree with him on pedo baptism examined. I mean, he deals he deals well with uh, his opponent's arguments. So, well, I for one, I'm going to have to check out that book and read it. Yeah. He sounds like my kind of guy. I knew that about Judson, but I didn't know that it was Booth's. <laughs> stuff that he was reading so that's interesting well you know morgan we've had a great time uh we've learned a lot about booth and i think we've talked about a lot of controversial things as well so you know if if we're the clickbait type of people maybe we'll you know put some cool thing out there that (laughs) makes people click and listen Um, that said uh we've had an absolute pleasure with you um i think our listeners have as well and i want to remind our listeners as i often do now that you've been listening to the only Baptist analytic confessional podcast hey, on the planet. Hey, and I encourage you. Can I say one yeah, thing? Go ahead. I would say if, if you want to be introduced to Booth, um, go to the reign of grace. Uh, it's, it's definitely, I mean, it's, it was his most published work and it's so good. I mean, he, he shows you how to connect doctrine to real life and he shows you how to uh, take these huge, big, massive doctrines in the scriptures and warm your heart with them. And so if, if you want to start somewhere, that's where I would start. All right. So here's what you need to do. Listeners, I'm addressing you. Go find The Rate of Grace on Amazon. I'm going to put the link in the show notes or maybe some other, I don't know if it's on Amazon, somewhere else, wherever it is. Maybe we don't want to support the big behemoth. Um, <laughs> and find yourself a cold, frosty beverage, get on the couch and start reading. So that's what I'm going to encourage you all to do. Uh, Morgan, again, well, we've had a pleasure talking to you. Uh, and we'll, uh, Oh, before I forget though, if someone wants to connect with you, where can they find you? Man, that's difficult. Um, honestly, the best place is probably, um, probably like, uh, my email. I don't mind giving out my email. It's, it's Mo M O and then the the number seven and then bird B Y R D at gmail.com. That's, that's probably it. All right. Well hit up Morgan. If you've got questions about booth or questions about, uh, I guess the gospel call as well. Um, and as, as always, if our listeners want to discuss any of these things more, reach out to us, me or Brandon, or I guess reach out to Morgan and tell him to get back on the show. So uh, we had a great time. Enjoyed uh, it, man. Thanks for being with us.